Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to talk about the final two parts, the Arrow episode and the Legends episode of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So jumping right in. We pick up with all of our paragons are kind of stuck in a little bit of a limbo for a while that is not unlike the first six chapters of that one Twilight book where it's just blank pages. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> And as this is all happening, we get some backstory on the Monitor and his pre-Monitor life. And apparently, it was his greatest ambition to use time travel to go back to the dawn of time in order to witness, like, the birth of all things, I guess. (laughs) And the way that Crisis sets up his story says essentially that unchecked ambition is a dangerous thing in some respects because we get this moment where Ryan Toy is able to convince the Monitor not to go through with his plan because it does create crisis. But that doesn't actually work because the Anti-Monitor explains that even if you manage to convince one version of the Monitor on one Earth, there are an infinite number of them and there will always be one who will make that choice because it's so linked to personality and who you are that there are some destinies you can't change, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting in the sense of how it will tie back perhaps to Supergirl since there was so much of Lex's presence and also the connection that Lex made to what may end up happening with Lena and also with Lena's own ambitions that have been steering her down a potentially dangerous trajectory for the last two and a half seasons. Yeah. And it was interesting to see the monitor, uh, we found out his name is Mar Novu. He wanted to go back to the dawn of time. And when he got to that location, he called it the birth of all creation, which reminded me of the thematic tie-in to Frankenstein that we've talked about a lot in Supergirl. Um, and then also in the crossovers. For instance, last year, the monitor sort of plucked out Deegan, the villain of last year, and gave him the Book of Destiny, which gives you the power to create your own reality. And in his introductory scene, somebody actually calls him Frankenstein to insult him because he wanted to give humans powers through what was essentially eugenics. And so there's an interesting tie back to the character of Mar here, the monitor, and thinking about his motivation for choosing this Deegan character to be that person that they have to defeat. Someone who, like he was, is driven by that ambition and that wish to harness creation. And we've also talked about Frankenstein in relation to Paradise Lost, which itself is connected to the Bible and these themes of creation. And we've had twice now a sort of creation story read to us Mm. about the birth of the age of heroes and whatnot. And we've also talked about in the podcast Prometheus in relation to this concept of ambition and creation and the wish to harness that creative power. So it was fun to see them reference the element Prometheum in the Legends episode. It was what they needed to defeat the Anti-Monitor. And in real life, the element of Prometheum is named after Prometheus to represent both the daring and the possible misuse of mankind's intellect because it is radioactive and extremely rare on Earth, but it's actually otherwise pretty unremarkable. Hello, clothes green, <laughs> like kryptonite. Ooh. But in the DC comics, it behaves more like a made-up element that has the same name as Prometheum. And in terms of possible references to like the Justice League, Prometheum actually makes up cyborg cybernetic components, which I thought was interesting. Mm, yeah. The connection to Prometheus is also rather fun in terms of speculating on how it's going to fit for Supergirl specifically, because Prometheus is a tie back to Greek mythology 
which we all know Lex Luthor likes a whole lot, (laughs) but also because Prometheus in Greek mythology is most well known for stealing a technology from the gods and giving it to humanity in order to usher in like a new dawn of civilization. And while Prometheus gets punished for this, once he kind of gets a hold of this technology, there's no going back from it. And so given that this whole season of Supergirl has been about the potential uses and misuses of technology, and now we know that Lex has deliberately meddled with the timeline, it will be very curious to see where they go from here, especially because when we talked about Frankenstein in the context of Lena's experiments in season four, the subtitle of the novel Frankenstein is The Modern Prometheus. So there's definitely some deliberate linking going on here. Yeah. So the monitor is kind of driving this theme of ambition and creation in the crossover. And Lex, who is maybe the paragon of ambition, (laughs) plays this sort of role of tempting him to go through with it. But he wants to, like, fix the machine and make a deal so that Lex also essentially becomes the monitor and has that power of creation, I believe was his end goal. But then we have Ryan come in, the paragon of humanity, and he reaches Mar, and we'll talk a little bit more about Ryan and that role that he played in this episode later. Cycles, but wait a minute. Okay, Lex clearly came in and stepped into that paragon of truth role. So how do we know that he's not in encouraging the monitor to pursue new knowledge? Actually, you know, pushing for a warped kind of the truth because he wants to rewrite himself to be a hero. People keep saying this to me about him being a paragon of truth. And I'm like, he, he's a sociopath, Vivi. He's a paragon of his version <laughs> of the truth. He's, he's a consummate <laughs> gaslighter. And he doesn't strike me as somebody who seeks out knowledge for the sake of knowledge, like a Ravenclaw type. Like when? Yeah. He's like Slytherin gone wrong. He's he's a Tom Riddle sort of child. <laughs> Quite. That's why Kara doesn't like him. That's it. <laughs> Tying it back. Kara thinks the worst villain of all time is Voldemort. Yeah. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Who rejects love and humanity and connections. And wants to immortalize himself. <laughs> yeah. In order to pursue these quite ambitious endeavors. Which takes us to Kara. <laughs> <laughs> right. And actually, Kara was next on our list. So here we are. Yes. So I was rather pleased, especially comparatively with how they handled Kara in this crossover event versus previous years. They gave her some pretty powerful moments in these last two episodes. Mm-hmm. And we've already talked about the stuff that we liked in our other Crisis episode, episode 48. But in the fourth hour, which was the first hour we watched in this part, Kara delivered a couple lines about what they had to do to aid all in creating the multiverse and she gave her like humanity truth destiny honor courage and hope little speech which just struck me because a it was nice to see her give that information to the group and play that role and b she's just really good at those speeches (laughs) it fits her character to say that stuff well as she said to ryan she has a lot of practice at it yes exactly and in terms of other nice things for Kara, in the second and final battle with the anti-monitor she was like sky team with me which i enjoyed because sky team (laughs) and also because she felt like leader of her little group there. She did. And it was nice that the other members of that team are Jean and Clark, and they were totally cool with letting her call the shots there. (laughs) Yes, very supportive characters. She and Jean have come so far. 
picturing season yeah. one, Sean, like, Supergirl, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then speaking of growth, we had a very, like, girl powery line from the Adam Takara. <laughs> he said, throw like a girl. And I remember last crossover, we had kind of similar sort of pop feminist little moments and lines from the other characters about how cool Kara is. But it really kind of fell flat because of the discontent that we had with the way they handled her character otherwise. But it worked a lot better, I felt, in this crossover. It didn't ring as false because they actually did believe in the character narratively. Mm. We talked about this a lot in our first podcast episode about Crisis, actually, and how it was clear that someone put a lot of care into balancing out the gender parity of those heroes and making sure that the female characters got a lot more spotlight than they have in the past. Mm -hmm. And I felt the same way about the president saying brave women Women and men and like saying women first. It felt less like lip service this time around because they were also showing that to us that there were women around fighting actively. Yes. Well, that and I also I take that as a nod to Supergirl's Earth sort of winning the day in terms of some of the changes that got kept. Because even though they wrote Linda Carter out so that she wouldn't have this constant ongoing commitment, they decided to take the move of restoring the female president, which had been part of the Supergirl Earth. Yeah. So that was very cool. But for Kara specifically, she really got the space she deserved in this crossover compared to previous ones. And you could see that the network is definitely preparing to kind of bump up her visibility mm -hmm. to be on par with Flash for once Arrow is over. When we got into the fifth hour, her reset was the very first thing we saw and we got a solid five plus minutes of it before they cut away to deal with anything else. And then the other thing that was really striking visually was when they had the memorial for Oliver at the end. Kara is very clearly in the center with everyone kind of flagged out behind her, making it clear that she is the leader and she's also the first one who gets to speak in that scene. Yeah, it was also cool to see with that, the scene just before it was Brandon Routh's Superman flying and the music from the Donner Superman film playing, that kind of iconic Superman theme. And a bit of that trailed into the next scene, which was featuring this new Justice League that we have on DC TV with Kara front and center. So it felt a bit like a passing of the torch hmm. concerning Superman, who was kind of the first mainstream DC superhero with Action Comics number one. And then speaking of the use of music, which we're going to talk about again a little bit later but the use of the angsty <laughs> krypton is dying and exploding around me music mm -hmm. when kara's making the decision at the end of the final battle with the anti-monitor that she's going to save clark hurt me <laughs> emotionally like i knew it was gonna be fine because they've already filmed like four episodes after the crossover but i was like no no kara don't <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of the underscore of the harnessing anger theme, which we've talked about before in our season three music episode. And we've heard that, of course, in the iconic solar flare scene where she heat visions Red Tornado and thinks about everything that she lost and harnesses that anger. But we've also seen it when she was keeping Alex from shooting off into space in season two in the Exodus episode when she was in that ship with the aliens. And we saw it when she turned back time to save her loved ones at the end of season three. So it's definitely tied to loss she's felt before and preventing other people from dying or being lost. So it was well used here with Clark. Yes, it was emotionally manipulative in the right way. <laughs> uh -huh. 
so that was a cool sort of moment where we knew that Kara was willing to sacrifice herself to save Superman. However, I have talked to a few people who didn't understand what was happening there because we just have Kara flying in slow motion and this dramatic music playing. With a very determined look on her face. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the atom appears and then whatever was going to happen didn't happen. So it's kind of jarring if you don't know what it is alluding to, which was that in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths comics, Kara sacrificed herself. She died fighting the Anti-Monitor to save Superman. So perhaps some in-text support would have been good there. Maybe a bit more of a fight between the Anti-Monitor and Supergirl or a, like a line. I don't know how one wouldn't make it cheesy. Like, she's going to sacrifice herself. Uh, maybe just some workshopping that a little bit more. I'm just picturing Alex on the ground like, God damn it, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, maybe even like a car, no, would have sufficed from Alex. <laughs> yeah, well, we also, like, Jean just vanished into thin air after he got knocked out. So, like, I guess the Supergirl cast had to go, like, film an episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Another interesting thing that we saw them do with Kara in this crossover was actually bring up the concept of xenophobia quite a bit. We talked about it a bit in relation to Bruce and Batman. Mm, that's true. In our last Crisis podcast. But in part B, we saw during the Speed Force memory sequence, memory Oliver and Kara were talking. And this was a scene that we saw in a previous crossover about how Oliver didn't want Kara to participate in the heroing because she was an unknown quantity. And there was this underlying thread of xenophobia. And Oliver is talking about how he doesn't like new things and also mentions that aliens like just abducted him. So there's that thread of like, are you like them? But it's set up to emphasize that Oliver has gotten over that. Yeah. And then we also saw in terms of Kara and being an alien, Kate Kane said in reference to Bebo, it's unnatural. And Sarah said, alien? And Kara was, you know. Offended. Yeah, like, hey. Hey, I can hear you. <laughs> yeah. And then there was this moment when the Earths had become Earth Prime and Supergirl was figuring out everything that happened. And, and Lex gave this, like, weirdly low-key xenophobic speech. While accepting his Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. And with, like, I stand with mankind, specifically. And, like, emphasizing how he isn't an alien and he still achieved things. Well, and it definitely had some shades of the Earth first movement that we saw in season four and it's passive aggressive at Kara in the audience because he knows that she's there and no one will believe her oh that stresses me out <laughs> in terms of like xenophobia and convincing other people that someone who seems like a good person is like a, a racist for example natural gaslighter <laughs> yeah there he, is. there he is and everyone just kind of stands up and gives him an ovation and there were no like weird looks about the way it was going mm -hmm. so that was interesting and it was a lovely and sharp contrast to Kara's new enthusiastic best friend ryan Choi. yes he was a surprise delight yeah car and ryan were like alien and human bros <laughs> especially with ryan as the paragon of humanity and it was nice to see ryan like be this representation of humanity and then also be excited about like alien things like ryan specifically wanted to go to maltus because it was an alien world he volunteered for that reason and then <laughs> 
He said after Lex knocked him out on the bright side, <laughs> never been knocked unconscious on an alien planet before. Like it's in the plus column. So vibing with Kara as an optimist. <laughs> yeah. And he's just kind of generally nerdy about it. Like, why doesn't this alien forest look more alien? Budget. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yes. I told you I also appreciated in that scene when Ryan is assessing their surroundings and he's like, oh, look, a city. That means there's a civilization with a bureaucracy and we can find information about people in Kara's like, what? And I was like, Kara's disinterest in history class strikes again. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why she needed to learn about humanity. Yes. Uh, and then in terms of Ryan and Kara and Ryan being a fan of aliens, Kara kind of gently guides him <laughs> through the more extra normal stuff, such as flying. And she does something that we've seen her do before, which is kind of like get consent before flying off mm. somewhere and like respecting that it's maybe a jarring experience for a person, yeah. which is not something Barry does with the speed. <laughs> nope. He's like, we're just going to go now. <laughs> I actually really liked the way Kara and Ryan interacted. It had a nice win-like enthusiasm to it, which is cool because Win is actually going to be back really soon. So there'll be some nice kind of just mental continuity as a viewer for having seen Kara with people who have that kind of relationship to her. The crossover is actually just Kara hanging out with the people that remind her of her friends that she doesn't have currently. Yeah, actually, <laughs> it really is because we had Kate as kind of a stand-in for Alex. Oh, I was thinking Lena, actually. Oh, at double duty. <laughs> oh, yes. And then we have Ryan, who's kind of wind-like. And then in terms of Kara being like a friend to humanity, she is like a super powerful alien and arguably the most powerful superhero across the DC TV shows, tells Ryan that he specifically is important because of a choice he made, playing that kind of role of being like, I am the most super of us and you still deserve to be here and are important. Well, and also I think it's a choice that would have resonated with her. Yeah. Thinking back to her at the end of season two and in the front of season three saying, I would always make that choice to help people. Yeah, because she specifies the choice being that he left his family because a stranger was like, we need you, which is something that, like you said, Kara would totally vibe with. And then also in terms of things about that that would resonate with Kara personally, her own personal hero is a very human character, Alex, who, as we've talked about before, always makes the hard choice. Mm-hmm. And it was just cool to see Kara play this role because she personally has a pretty good handle on like what constitutes being human versus what constitutes being super because she lives lives as both of those things in Kara Danvers, her human identity, and then in Supergirl. And then to come back to what we mentioned at the start of the podcast, we actually see Ryan have his heroic moment where he's able to get through to the monitor about not messing with time and destroying everything all of the multiverse (laughs) because other people's lives are important and the monitor's ambitions they're not more valuable than the hundreds of billions of people that he's going to end up wiping out of existence Mm -hmm. so we have this paragon of humanity who is relatively like quote-unquote ordinary i mean he's like a genius don't listen to lex um but what makes him remarkable here is that ability he has to reach another person, which is also a quality that Kara shares. So her helping him out here is great. Mm -hmm. And then we compare it to Lex, who, you know, is kind of like the devil on the monitor's shoulder here to tie it back to the Bible theme. And he will stop at nothing to have the power of aliens, have superpowers. Speaking of which, he says in his acceptance speech for his Nobel Prize that he did all these things without powers, but we know he told Kara he gave himself powers. So does he still have them? I am curious about that. Mm. Mm. And in terms of powered aliens, 
we saw some fun stuff with Jean. He opted to wear his suit without shifting into his Martian form in the final episode of the crossover. Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it might be sort of an odd choice for Jean. I'm sure we could think of a meta reason or a character-based reason that he decided to. Like he wanted to embrace humanity as a hero or something like that. But I'm definitely happy for David, who now gets to stand in superhero lineups looking like himself. Yeah. So like, you know who he is. Yes. Yeah. And we also saw him play a pretty important role in the crossover in giving everyone back to the memory of what happened, which was a neat way to get him to kind of interact with some of the other characters a bit more than we've seen. Yeah, I liked it for that reason. But I also found it very fitting, given that so many of Jean's conflicts, especially in the past two seasons, have been related to him erasing memory in somewhat of a traumatic way. Mm. So seeing him here where he's actually going around restoring past after he had the test from the monitor involving him realizing that he had erased his brother's whole existence last season when he erased Kara's existence from her sister and all of those times that he was so distressed over modifying or erasing people's memories in season one. It was a very fitting choice Hmm. and also a convenient way to deliver exposition. (laughs) It sure is. It switches that up a little bit. He speaks in their brains (laughs) yeah that was kind of fun i was like so does he do that with alex ever and like car just doesn't know because his powers don't work with her that would be awesome (laughs) yeah it's a great tactical advantage also that's true and in terms of stuff jean did space fam yes he saved car from getting hit by the monitor just before he disappeared He did. He did a dad rescue. He did a dad rescue. Like all those ones that you see on like compilation videos online of dads like diving for their toddlers <laughs> as they're about to get hit by things. Yeah. yeah. And they also were together at the vanishing point, which was nice. Yeah. I would have liked a little bit of like interaction between them. Mm. Uh, but I mean, I'm otherwise pretty happy. So yeah, it was an interesting choice to have all of the heroes fall into these isolated funks. Yeah, I kind of didn't buy it for Kara. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, for Kara in particular, as a person who is so apt to reach out to people, especially when she's struggling emotionally, and especially since Jean was still there, and he is one of her closest kind of family connections that she relies on. And also just because of her concern for other people. Yeah. Well, I mean, we only got like a little bit of the stuff. We didn't get a lot of context, but apparently it was several months. Yeah, but we only saw a bit of the several months. So maybe she was just having a sad day with the cape. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) R.I.P. Clark's cape. Yeah. Especially with her like experience in the Phantom Zone, I would expect her to try to connect a bit more with the other people. But we did see her play kind of a we can't let this drive us apart role, mm. especially like in the scene with Barry and Sarah arguing. So yeah, I mean, they have a couple of crisis comics coming out about the time in between the first three episodes of the crossover and the last two. So maybe there will be some fun stuff. Oh, so these are actually companions to the show? Yeah. Oh, exciting. And in terms of that situation, we saw Car and Jean be sole survivors together again, which was sad. So I wanted to share it with you all. <laughs> <laughs> it was sad. I was like, but they have each other. And I'm like, oh, but they're still like the last of their kind yeah. again. Uh, but that's also kind of reminiscent of the fact that they will have longer lifespans than everyone they know. Oh, that was mean. Thanks. <laughs> But they exist outside of time and space, so maybe everyone else will just live forever, too. <laughs> sure. Speaking of people we would like to live forever, huh? Alex. 
Oh, bless. And speaking of, you know, space fam, we had a nice Kara and Alex scene. Which honestly, I think was the first genuine Kara and Alex scene of the season. <laughs> yeah. So I hope that's a hint of things to come. <laughs> yeah, me too. We'll, we'll take it that way. <laughs> I will remain hopeful. I'm like, I'm going to take that opening scene of the final hour of the crossover as like a personal gift, frankly, because <laughs> we've spent so much time talking about A, the Denver sisters relationship, but also B, specific specifically the Midvale episode of Alex and Kara as children and the scene when they're in the woods and Kara nearly heat visions Alex and she does it when she wakes up if you will yeah. from fighting the anti-monitor here and the reactions are very similar in a way that made me laugh but also be like oh this hurts yeah. um because we know from season three that Kara explained that sometimes when she's afraid she can't control the heat vision and it just happens and we actually see alex know that in this episode and say hey did you have a bad dream like that was her first question she assumed Kara was afraid about something and was concerned rather than being annoyed like she was as a teenager yeah but she still just also wasn't threatened by it yeah and speaking of personal gifts to us nightmares <laughs> that's true because we talk about it in a medicine uh and then we also got the depression painting yes. a closer look at it we did. It was there again. And the other thing, Kara's disorientation when she wakes up, first she's still punching like she thinks she's in the battle. And then the heat vision and just the look on her face is so reminiscent of other times when she's been pulled out of these situations where she's not sure what's real and what mm. isn't. Specifically, you think the Black Mercy situation in episode 113. But also in episode 309, when she's in the coma and Brainy comes and sees her in the mind palace that looks just like her apartment. Yeah. And, you know, she wakes up in her apartment and everything seems fine and Alex is there and she immediately panics and is like, this can't be real. And that actually, it fits really nicely with what we have seen in the early part of season five with Kara's inherent dislike or mistrust of the virtual reality technology and how it disconnects people from reality. And so my guess is we're going to continue to see this question of how do we know what's real come back, especially with knowing that Lex is going to be present at least for a little while longer and kind of meddling with everyone's sense of reality as he likes to do. Yeah, it is interesting because we have talked about in the connectivity problems episode, uh, episode 44, a lot about how Kara needs to feel like reality is reality. Mm. And then we literally have it change. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> and she does not like change. No. No, she doesn't. But it was really nice to see, much like in previous times when Kara's gone through these kind of very stressful, emotional, alternate reality experiences, Alex is there to be that grounding force and help her kind of reconfigure to reality. And we saw that, you know, Alex is the one who managed to get Kara out of the Black Mercy hallucination. It's the things that she says that get Kara to reconnect and come back to herself when she's in the coma. And we also see it when Kara's having panic attacks in season three as well. You know, Alex is the one who's sitting there kind of reminding her that she's okay, that things are going to be fine. She grounds her to the earth. <laughs> ha! Perfect. And the other thing about it is it kind of ties back to Kara's continued association with the Wizard of Oz in a way. It's not said here in the crossover the way it was in season one with the there's no place like home kind of sentiment. But that's come up for Kara repeatedly in terms of 
recognizing how much her life on Earth is important to her. And there were a lot of nods to it in the overwhelming sense of relief that she seemed to have throughout the final hour of the crossover. Yeah. <laughs> like, she was just so excited about everything other than Lex. Um, other than that little thing. <laughs> but it did have that feeling like The Wizard of Oz where it was like, I had the strangest dream and you and you and you were there and you were dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like if she brought the wizard back with her and he was causing havoc. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Funny you say that. Hold that thought for a minute. Yes. <laughs> but in terms of Alex and that role that she plays in Kara's life and grounding her to the earth <laughs> and being her tether, after her experience at the vanishing point, for months, you know, being similar to the Phantom Zone. I liked that they took a moment to have her say I love you to Alex and like make a point of it to reaffirm like, oh, my person is alive again. Yeah, no, I really liked that. And another nice touch in the Kara like National City scenes in Kara's apartment in that final hour was that when we got that couch scene, which again, I think was the first Kara and Alex like hanging out in Kara's apartment scene we've had all season when they're watching the TV broadcast about honoring Oliver. Kara is wearing the same sweater that she was wearing in episode 412 Menagerie when she's confronted with post-mindwipe Alex for a long period of time for the first time. And I loved that choice. I don't know whose choice it was, whether it was a director, a writer, or the costume department, or Melissa, or all of the above, but it was awesome. <laughs> well, because it, it just gives us such a clear signal of the fact that Kara then is clearly feeling a similar sense of something being wrong yeah. with the way that the world is right now, because of how Lex has meddled, which we don't know the extent to which he has meddled. But my first thought was like, so does that mean she didn't win her award that she got at the start of season five? Because that was her writing an expose about Lex. Uh, yeah, there are so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of questions. And speaking of Lex, something that was just fun for me with Lex was the fact that he was whistling the Luther theme. When? I didn't actually notice that. When he was walking alone on Maltus and then again oh. after he knocked out Car and Ryan. <laughs> it's just funny for the character because he has his own soundtrack. <laughs> I like that as a character choice. Yeah, I was just going to say he's always got some kind of music going. So the Luther theme is canon. <laughs> he literally walks around thinking that he is the hero of his own story he's got <laughs> yeah. his own soundtrack it's perfect but i like that they're leaning into that idea for him that you as the narrator of your own life are always going to think that you are the hero and everybody else is like the villain and it also to come back to our wizard of oz thoughts that you brought up earlier lex is really kind of playing that wizard role at the moment in that he has rewritten his own identity to suit what people expect of him and that this rewrite is a lie and he knows it but no one else does. Mm. And that actually then makes a lot of sense with the way we've always seen Kara and that affiliation with Dorothy, who ultimately then exposes that lie with Toto's help. So maybe Kara will finally get a dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she'll send him off in an air balloon. <laughs> <laughs> she'll put him in a pod. No. <laughs> But I also think, obviously, they're setting up a longer game for Lex because we just got the announcement from CW that they are for sure going to do the Clark and Lois new Superman show next season. And honestly, I'm actually kind of excited for it because it's a different take. Like, I grew up watching Lois and Clark New Adventures of Superman as a little kid with my family. And so knowing that this one is going to be like Clark Kent family, man, like... <laughs> awkward nerd dad that's like a version of him we really haven't seen 
And now's as good a time as any to have more reporting stories with the iconic Lois Lane. Yes. And I've just always liked the casting that they did for those guys. So that should be fun. Also, we're waiting on the mystery because now we found out that they have two children instead of just one. So it's like, yes. are they the same age? Which of the super children from the comics are they? How old are they? <laughs> we just don't know, but it could be awesome. It could be. I want like little flying toddlers causing mischief. <laughs> like, even toddlers who can just walk and run are trouble. Uh, <laughs> they are. And in terms of other members of the space family... Yeah, we really only got to see Nia. Everyone else was busy. <laughs> yeah, she showed up in the superhero lineup before the big anti-monitor battle, which I have feelings about. <laughs> because she's the first live-action trans superhero, so to see her there with all the other heroes looking awesome was pretty cool. Well, it was also really cool because Supergirl, they actually included two original characters, whereas I think – well, Diggle, I think, was also an original character who has since been added into the DC Comics, so – crossing my fingers i'm like bring nia too (laughs) (laughs) but in terms of nia it was cool to see her as a superhero and then also as a reporter nia yes her little moment with uh, the lady glaring at her was really cute (laughs) yeah so we got both of her identities which i was happy about yes and then we're just gonna touch base really quickly on what we enjoyed about the lead characters from the other shows especially now that we and kara know for sure that they can all hang out with each other yeah Yes, Um, (laughs) exactly. Which was awesome. She was really excited about that. Her reaction when they're all facing off against scary giant Bebo and she's like, oh my God, Kate is here. was probably (laughs) the highlight of that scene. Yes, Um, I agree. (laughs) Kara had a lot of good face journeys in that final hour. (laughs) Yeah. And she had fun, which was nice. And some reacting to silliness, which she does well. It was a nice change of pace after season four and the start of season five. Like, oh. Yeah, Kara went straight from, like, depression to... To facing off against neo-Nazis, and now her best friend hates her. Um, Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything's fine. Anyway, speaking of... (laughs) Speaking of best best friends... Uh, For Kate and her little arc, we kind of had the climax of all that happened within the first three episodes. So the stuff that we saw with regard to her and learning to trust people was more like falling action-y, as in it's more about reflecting on what she's learned. And she witnessed Oliver's sort of growth from a distrust of Kara in that scene, in the memory in the Speed Force, to being more welcoming of her, which was interesting because that scene also featured, like we mentioned, xenophobia, which paralleled what we Mm. talked about with Bruce and how he was xenophobic towards Superman. And killed him. (laughs) Sure did. (laughs) And then so she sees that and is like, oh, I can learn from that. I can learn from the growth. And it cements perhaps her resolve to be more trusting with this group of people. It was funny because she said, you don't trust people, they don't trust you, then all that changes and the bond between you is stronger than iron. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, (laughs) you mean like steel? Like the girl of steel? What? Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So presumably Kate is now more open to not only trusting Kara, but trusting perhaps the other members of the Super Friends. So hopefully that has a ripple effect for poor Kate in her show where she has no friends. (laughs) Yeah. Also also true. But you can always visit (laughs) the Danvers Sisters. National City Danvers Sisters. I told you in in that shot of the three of them hanging out, she she looks like she should be Alex's cousin. I don't know why. (laughs) They've just got like their faces look similar enough because of like the hair color from far away. I'm like, yeah. 
I dig it. Yeah, and then they have these like swoopy bangs going on, but in opposite directions. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. (laughs) And they have kind of like that same aesthetic. Yeah. I would also not be opposed to Kate like popping up again, especially because the season for Kara has been very much about interpersonal connections and like Mm -hmm. how well she can read other people and if she should trust them or not. Yeah. So having Kate like a supportive friend would be neat. And in terms of leads from the other shows that I was excited to have in the crossover, we had Jefferson (laughs) from Black Lightning. He had a moment that I really enjoyed where he told Mick not to call him Sparkles. I liked that scene in particular because Mick tends to annoy me in every crossover because he's just kind of a jerk all the time. <laughs> he was a little better in this one. I have to he say. was. He was much more enjoyable in this one. But that's why that moment kind of worked because he does that to everybody. And Jeff was like, no, no. <laughs> you will not. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with Jefferson being a black man. It mm-hmm. resonated. So that was fun. Speaking of social dynamics. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, that's one of the places where I'm really like a little concerned, but also very curious to see how this world merge is going to mess with the world building that particularly Black Lightning and Supergirl have done Mm. in terms of social issues, because those are shows that are much more grounded in the world of reality and deal with a lot of those intersectional issues related to things like race and gender and sexual orientation. And just thinking about Supergirl, for example, like Barry and all of their characters up until this point, like lived in an earth that had no aliens. So what is the xenophobia situation going to look like? Why did we sit through a whole uncomfortable season of car fighting neo-Nazis if we're getting some kind of reset? But is that reset then going to matter to Supergirl still? Is it going to affect the other shows in any way? Like, like I mean, in terms of the social issues generally, I would assume because the aliens are now existing on the Earth, like, mm. historically. True. That it's more the other show's problems, except for the Lex situation, which we have to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> Where, like, the stuff still exists for Supergirl, but it's just weird to see the other shows, like, not care about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like when something bad happens, it's just like, oh, shrug. Kara will handle it. But yeah. they kind of implied that they're maybe going to do a little more of that casual jump in and out by setting up that moment of Kara going to confront the weather witch and Barry's like, oh, my bad. This is one of mine. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe there will be a little more of that opportunity to have the acknowledgement show to show, but it, it's going to mess with the tone of a lot of things. It's just crazy to think about, like, let's say Barry's like, oh, there's an alien here. Supergirl, can you handle it? Is it going to be, like, weird socially? <laughs> yeah. Maybe the aliens will only flock towards National City because cars. But Clark will be around now, too. True. You know, we've got both coasts covered. Sky Team, they've got Jean, too. Between the three of them, they've got one for the East Coast, the West Coast, one for the Middle. It's good. Barry can run fast enough to help out. It's okay. But speaking of Barry, I loved the surprise cameo by Ezra Miller. Yeah. That was really fun. I'm impressed that they kept it a secret. Yeah. As long as they did. That was really fun, especially in light of some of the, you know, comic fan culture stuff where people try to pit like one actor against the other. And it was nice to see the very Barry Allen tone of no one cares about that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Partners. We're friends. Uh, (laughs) And related to Barry, it was a little weird that some of the key members of his cast were missing Mm. in the the closure to the crossover, particularly since Barry, Paragon of Love, was like, oh my God, Iris, when the Earth 
exploded and then we never saw her yeah. again so <laughs> like, so is she all right a bit like, odd um, no i liked your thought about how that might be handled for their show yeah i'm wondering if because there was so much more setup on flash there'll be more closure within flash because that show deals a lot more often with world crossing and changes of time and stuff like that so maybe they'll get some more depth and kind of wrap up to yeah stuff there i do also appreciate though related to kind of like the way maybe the other shows are handling it that legends was just repeatedly breaking the fourth wall in there <laughs> yeah it's very legends of them to do yeah with all their jokes about ah did you get to be in a crossover <laughs> that was cute especially as a way of integrating jefferson as like the newbie character mm. to the crossovers and speaking of legends <laughs> yeah sarah i enjoyed her stuff she got to show off a little bit her leading chops because she's the leader of her legends group mm. and was kind of directing things in the final episode of the crossover. I also think they did a good job of making Oliver's death relevant to Sarah's personal journey as opposed to it just being about Oliver and yeah. like being sad, which is fair, obviously, because it's Oliver's last hurrah. Well, yeah, and she definitely obviously was sad about it, but it went more to kind of exploring the relationship between the two of them and how that led to her evolution as now the leader of her own show. Yeah. And what she said about it was that she always thought that she would have someone who remembered who she was before all the crazy stuff that happened to her happened. Yeah. Which is actually kind of similar to the role that like Alex serves for Kara, mm. which is cool. Yeah. But Alex is never going away. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is never allowed to die. <laughs> she can just be mind wiped again. Oh. <laughs> uh, the other thing I liked with Sarah and the way they handled the evolution of her character and her relationship with Oliver is that it opened up room for her to have some nice scenes with Barry. In a way that I feel like she hasn't had too much in the previous crossovers, even though like they've all been in a lot of them together. Yeah. And it was cool how they used Oliver's importance to each of them as a way to bring them together mm -hmm. and be kind of like picking up where he left off and, and taking on that leadership. And Sarah even makes that joke to Barry about like, when did you get so wise or mature <laughs> or whatever? I said that too. I was like, oh, Barry's a grown up superhero now. <laughs> Yeah, you did. It was cute. But that was, I think, a very fitting way to kind of honor the role that Oliver and the cast of Arrow played mm. in bringing those characters out into their own and giving them so much space to grow in other directions. Yeah. And kind of setting up one of the dynamics that we may see them explore in, you know, whatever sort of crossovers occur in the future. In terms of Oliver, there was a lot about his death. There was a sort of fake out death. And then there was the real death. And then that was something that Sarah had to struggle with, that idea of like, is he really dead? Speaking of questioning reality. <laughs> yeah. Which I think was done really nicely. Yeah. But then I also think the amount of references to it, Oliver's death, were just like a couple too many or like presented in kind of awkward ways. Mm. Like just too heavy handed for it to land as nicely as it could have. Yeah. I think. Not in terms of him being like overbearing in the crossover or anything like that. Just Yeah. Like he wasn't overused, I don't think. No, I don't think either. Which was a nice course correction. <laughs> quite. <laughs> Especially for, you know, his last crossover. And part of the reason some of the things didn't quite work out well was because of character dynamics that hadn't been set up for them to work well in previous crossovers. So like Carr and Oliver didn't have that deep a connection. The other heroes, like a chunk of them, didn't really know who he was. Yeah, I am not going to lie. I giggled a little bit <laughs> in that scene where they're doing the lineup where they're like, let's do it for Oliver. And it's like, but Nia doesn't even know him. Yeah, the for Oliver was one of them that I thought could have played more nicely if just a couple characters had said it. Like if Barry and Sarah had just said for Oliver and the others had been kind of nodding mm. or like 
So making it a little bit more understated and yeah, exactly. Trusting the actors to convey emotions. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also like too much dialogue was the issue. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure that the casual viewers understand those cycles. <laughs> gotta be sure and in terms of storytelling overall they made some really cool like production based and post-production based storytelling choices specifically in terms of memories and the speed force they made like artistic visual choices which is not something we usually see with the crossover just because it's so action-packed so with the speed force sequence the visuals really conveyed that what we are viewing is like a perception that people have we're viewing memories so there was obviously that change of aspect ratio that happened it changed to widescreen screen to emphasize that it's not real. It's kind of like movie-like, which was obviously also connected to the fact that we had a character from the DC movie universe pop in. Mm. But then also stuff like the color grading was more cinematic. Yeah, it had that like desaturated flashbacky vibe. Yeah. And they also interestingly didn't adhere to the rule of thirds. So in cinematography and photography, the rule of thirds is basically like a grid of nine squares and where the corners of the squares meet is where you place like important things in your framing. Like your your significant like visual elements, right? Yeah. Like people. People, important <laughs> objects. So things end up being kind of to the left or kind of to the right and you avoid putting things dead center unless it's like the news. Or unless you're choosing to break that convention for artistic reasons, like we're seeing here, where it emphasizes that sense of looking at something. Mm. And something else they did, which supports that feeling of looking at something, is have a blur around the screen, kind of in the shape of an eye, so that the focused area was in the shape of an oval, and the focus is exclusive to where you're supposed to be looking. And then they also had like lots of camera movement which explored the space in a way that emphasized that it's a stage event. So all these things make you aware of the fact that this is video. This is something they are looking at. And this is something that the characters are looking at, which serves the fact that this is a perception, a memory, which I really liked because I'm a video nerd. But also I like that they put themselves out there a little bit to make things interesting and unexpected. Yeah. There was a lot more, I mean, obviously, because they knew this was like the big blowout one because it was like the last big crossover with the original shows that started the whole Arrowverse and stuff like that. There was a lot more kind of care and attention to detail in terms of making more artistic type choices with this crossover as opposed to being just purely action driven like some of the previous ones. The other thing that I noticed as a music person was that the music team did an outstanding Mm -hmm. job with integration of all the different scores from the different shows and using the characters light motifs which we talked about in our music of season four episode Mm -hmm. and they used all of these different sounds really really well to play on our emotions as the audience because we have associations of when that music comes up four different characters. And it was also done very subtly as a way to cue us into how to interpret the way characters were feeling or maybe how to read reality after we get the world merge and the reset. Because knowing what we already associate emotionally or narratively with certain sounds and certain themes means that we have some context for how we should be understanding what's happening on screen now as well. So that was cool. Yeah, which is important when there are lots of elements at play. Yes. So we should talk about the impacts of this world merge on Supergirl and the Arrowverse. Yeah, look, it's it's stressing me out. And I know it's only like two more days until we get some answers. <laughs> but still, I need to know now. 
<laughs> so in terms of like nice things, obviously we have the super friends, this Justice League that they have just formed. And now they can all kind of more easily come together and sit at the table and look at each other cutely. Do they get little like cute signal watches or something <sighs> so they can summon each other? Yes, they should do that. And so they formed this Justice League and are all really excited about it, which is great. And um, it's also a pretty diverse group of people. Relatively speaking, yeah. Yeah. So pros for Earth Merge are obviously that Kara is ecstatic. <laughs> She's She had quite the joyful reaction to all of this. To knowing that all her friends from the other Earths were now much closer and she could just like go visit them. Yeah. And we get to interact with Kate more easily. She could come visit. Kara can go fly and get her from Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> I want Kara to be like the designated flyer for like everybody <laughs> all over the country. <laughs> Superhero happy hour. <laughs> Lyft. <laughs> Literally. Kara is superhero Lyft. Like they have their own app designed by Brainy. Perfect. And with regards to the Earth merge, Kara and Barry can have fun crossovers. Kara and Jefferson and the other Black Lightning cast Which members. Which we've only been lobbying for since Black Lightning <laughs> aired. The Pierce sisters <laughs> and the Danvers sisters. Oh, man. It could happen. I want it. I want it, but also Jean and Jefferson <laughs> and Eliza and Lynn as like science moms. Mm. Like that's Families. the dream, all right. <laughs> it, it needs to just be like a family reunion, like picnic event with some superhero <laughs> drama thrown in. I guess they can all come together to stop Lex trying to like make a political coup. It'll be fine. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh God, I have to think about that. <laughs> like how Lex might influence Black Lightning. Maybe we should be more worried about Black Lightning and Supergirl because they have actually yeah, exactly. handled the things. <laughs> And then in terms of some cons, some concerns with the merge. Questions we have. The kind of reason I didn't like the idea to be in with was that they have less creative control. So if they want to like change the president or destroy Earth and go on a space adventure for like a season and get Earth back somehow, they can't really do that. Not that they were going to, but I mean, they could. <laughs> it would be a lot harder to like have it. Every other show is only flashbacks for a whole season. They can have it like... where there are two timelines or something. Anyway, it's just a lot more to handle. And I feared stuff like continuity issues that change Supergirl things, like the line about how Oliver is known to them as the first of our heroes when Superman has been around since Carr was 13 and Black Lightning has been around for a long time in their canon. Oh, yeah, that's true. I just wrote that off as like it was their dramatic send off to Oliver <laughs> <Yeah>. Queen. <laughs> What happens in the crossover stays in the crossover, except for the creation of Earth Prime. <laughs> And also all the friendships. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the Danvers sisters movements. And then in terms of repercussions for the Supergirl show, like we have a bit less right now of a handle on Supergirl's relationship with the people of Earth. Like presumably it'd be a totally different dynamic if there were like all these other superheroes around when Supergirl is becoming a superhero. Yeah, because if you think back to season one when we had Livewire, that was like a big deal yeah they had to bring in barry to help fight live wire <laughs> well uh. the supergirl was like the second hero ever yeah and then she started her own little group and car was like the champion of earth and still well, is she still would be <laughs> but she had just become sort of earth's main hero it's just a lot to think about and i hope cool things happen with it it's just change man <laughs> well the next few episodes at least should be cool but i'm still like okay so what's the What's the plot of the season? Like, what's happening? Yeah, this didn't make things more clear. <laughs> Allegedly, according to the actors, now they know what's happening. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex seems like she's in the show now, so... <laughs> 
And now we have a special treat for you guys. <laughs> we do have a special treat for y'all. Now that we've wrapped up our discussion of the events of crisis, we, for our network, Sunshine Protection Force, created a Mad Libs activity. Yes. So we wrote our own superhero Mad Libs story about what was going to happen in the finale portions of Crisis based only on like teaser kind of information. And so we came up with a list of blanks that anyone who wished to participate could fill in and they were based on watching the last two hours of the crossover. Yeah. So with Mad Libs, usually there's like a list of prompts for different kinds of words or phrases like a noun and an adverb. A number. A verb with ing. So we had them fill in stuff like the first hero you see in part two or something a character has or something a character says. So we're going to give you guys a dramatic reading featuring our favorite bits from the submissions from SBF. So we picked and chose our favorite answers that people gave to different prompts to string together the most accurate and true interpretation <laughs> of crisis on infinite earths that you will hear from anyone <laughs> come to supergirl's attic for your recap <laughs> so spoiler alert we're about to tell you the entire plot that you don't remember because you were one of the people on the earth whose memory was erased <laughs> you're not a paragon <laughs> so only we know the truth and we're about to share it with you right now yes and blow your minds all universes are gone only seven shoes remain our last hope a rift grows between them, however, as Barry exclaims, We are the Flash! And Sarah takes deep offense. Meanwhile, Kate sharpens her comfy sweater in frustration. Kara practices bursting through doors in preparation for an incoming battle. And Lex annoys everyone. The heroes have forgotten friendship. Suddenly, Oliver appears and teleports them all to Queen Consolidated to make their final stand. And with the power of being vague, Oliver brings back the heroes who have fallen. To celebrate being alive again, Alex adopts Weatherwitch. The Anti-Monitor and Monitor appear, and a great battle takes place until our heroes can barely stand. In a last-ditch effort, Kara gives a hope speech to the Anti-Monitor, saying, You have failed this universe. Moving all who hear it. Jean reads the anti-monitor's mind and hears the words, Bebo, hungry! Deep within his subconscious, he can be reached. Jean looks at the monitor daintily, and the monitor understands. He runs to the anti-monitor, yells, Sister! 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 And embraces him. That's it! A hug! cries Hermione Granger, who is somehow also there. The paragons lock eyes as the shadow demons whisper, I'm never letting my child watch this show again. They know what they must do, but do not know if they can move past their confusion to do it. But then, Ryan Choi brings the heroes together using humanity's greatest strength, perfect teeth. To buy them time to run to each other, Oliver gives a battle cry. Be there or be Kryptonian square. And their enemies shake in fear. The Paragons hug. The enormous release of impatience power causes Sarah and Jean to switch bodies. Kate to gain the ability to problem solve. <laughs> Barry to lose his socks. And all the Earths to be brought back. The Paragons all pass out from the strain. And Lex writes, family, on their foreheads with the Sharpie. <sighs> then, before he can do worse, Alex single-handedly defeats Lex with her greatest weapon. Her trusty girlfriend. In the end, the heroes save the world through the power of righteous indignation. The end. The end. 
on that note, yes, we, with the power of super speed, are going to turn around <laughs> from preparing this episode and come right back because Sunday there's a new Supergirl episode and we will hopefully start getting some answers to our lingering <laughs> questions about what is happening on the Earth now. If you guys have questions for us, you can always go to Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirl's Attic and send them our way. And thanks for listening.